Good morning, Valley Bible Church. It's me again. Surprised? No. I was too. When Jerry called my no, <laughs> called my name earlier. No. Um, it's a pleasure to be uh, able to open God's Word again with all of you. Uh, I was thinking through the announcement time. Uh, this actually this today, last year, Doug and I uh, were headed to uh, to the Balkans uh, to travel around with Stuart Rao, one of our global outreach partners, and to, to visit some of the people he ministers to, to see some of the people um, that we um, contribute toward the ministries that are there. And, and uh, interestingly enough, uh, talking about the Operation Christmas Child boxes, both in Bosnia and in Serbia, we heard uh, testimony of the fact that they use those and, and how uh, what a, a great tool they are. I think sometimes from us on this perspective, we don't get to see that, and we go, man, we ship all these boxes overseas, and we never see any of the fruit of that. And, and that's true, but yet how encouraging that is. Um, so, I don't know, be encouraged. It's a great number, and that's cool. Our boxes may end up in the hands, who knows, of uh, in the Balkans, in the hands of kids in, in Serbia, where we have people that we know that are seeking to, to minister and share the gospel. And so, pretty, pretty cool to think about that. Um, also, regarding the marriage conference, um, if you're married and you don't sign up, I expect your book on my desk on marriage on Monday. No, just kidding. No. But marriages are something we should always be investing in. Obviously, some of you can't make it for various reasons. But, uh, but don't think just because things are going great uh, that you shouldn't go to a marriage conference. I know Linda and I have often read marriage books or gone to conferences, uh, not because we're having issues, but because we don't want to have issues, right? We want to continue to invest. And, and a lack of investment is often uh, results in, in the issues in marriages. Believe it or not. So, anyway, all right. Well, uh, thank you to the worship team. Great, great songs. What a week we've had this week. Uh, what a week things going on in our nation. Um, but it's so good to be able to gather together like this, to be able to sing the songs that we've sung and uh, some of the, the lines uh, that we sang um, as we reoriented our hearts and our minds this morning. Lord, use us as you want, whatever the test. When I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness on the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering, when the darkness closes in, Lord, I will say, blessed be your name. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, all the glory evermore to him. And in that last song that has uh, fast becoming a favorite of mine, um, give, guide me, O thou great Jehovah. When I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fears subside. Death of death and hell's destruction, land me safe on Canaan's side. Songs and praises, songs and praises, I will ever give to thee. What, what comfort, what hope there is in knowing Jesus, amen? It's great to know that even if the world around us is full of anxiety and fears and, and is, is Shaken that we can rest knowing the one who holds all things together, the one who controls all things. And so, good reminders this morning from that. Um, this morning we turn a, a page, or actually just a chapter in John, depending on your Bible, maybe you do turn a page, but uh, to, uh, to chapter 10, chapter 10 in, in John. And if you turn there, we're going to be in verses 1 through 10 this morning. And I would invite you to, to open in your copy of God's Word, and if you can, join in standing with me as we um, read God's Word together, uh, of course, as you're able. 
Um, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of, the, of our God remains forever. So our word, uh, the word of the God for us this morning, John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are thankful for your goodness and your work in our lives. We are thankful that that you are a sovereign God in control of all things, that you hold all things in your hand, and that nothing is a surprise to you. You know all things. We are, are thankful of that. We are thankful that though there may be um, strange things going on in the world around us, though there, there may things that would be things that would cause people to, to be afraid or to, uh, to be uncertain or to have anxiety, Lord, we, we know that we can rest in you. We can rest in the truth of your word, and there are things that are stable. And Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come together as believers, to, to sing to one another truths about you and to comfort one another in that way, but also to, to look at your word. And Lord, if there are those here who are anxious or preoccupied or concerned with things of the week or of the day, Lord, would you please clear our minds, clear our hearts, so that we might listen to what you have for us each one this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know if you've ever uh, got a tune or uh, something stuck in your head where you you're, can't get rid of it. I know this is Christmas time, so you start hearing Christmas songs already in a lot of stores, and so then they get stuck in your head, and you're like, no, Thanksgiving hasn't come yet, you know? Uh, or maybe you're all about it, and the snow has fallen, so that's okay. I know that that's okay for some. After the first snowfall, we're okay with Christmas music and lights and trees. No? No. Okay. All right. I know we all have a different perspective on that. But anyway, you get something stuck in your head. It's hard to think about something else. I know um, perhaps, uh, at least in my experience, uh, this week uh, speaking with a, a friend, a brother, uh, about my sermon, and he made some comments, and then pretty soon I couldn't, couldn't get him out of my head. I was actually with Chris. We were grabbing lunch together, and I, he was asking how things were going for this week. And I was talking about the text, and I was going, man, I just have trouble coming up with an outline, you know, because Jesus kind of, he has this parable, and then he, they don't understand it, and so he kind of retools it, and he, he launches in again, uh, kind of inserting himself a little more directly into it, and a few tweaks, and it's just, I'm like, I just don't understand how this, and he goes, well, you know, we were talking it over, and he goes, well, you could just, uh, you could just call the sermon Shepherd Is as, Sh- as Shepherd Does, and then you would also have an outline. 
I was like, oh, man. Sometimes he makes it seem so easy, right? And so I'm going, man, I'm trying to think, how do I retool that to be my own words? And we just said, go with it. So I have his permission, his blessing to go with that this morning. Because I could not think of a, a better a better title for this. So shepherd is as shepherd does. If you're filling out blanks, I tried to leave them a little bigger this week. So there you go. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that, that that made me think about this week was just how much we work together uh, as staff and uh, as, uh, as elders and volunteers at Valley Bible Church. And what a, a blessing that is, what a unique thing that is. There really is... Not anything that happens here uh, in the life of the church where, yes, there's somebody that's a point person that's responsible over it, but, but others have been brought in. And that's, that's a, a, pretty, a pretty unique thing, I think, at least in my experience in churches. And so just a, a blessing to be able to be in a place where we are a team, where we can get together and talk about things like this and, and then go forward. So a testament to the, the character, unique character of, the, of Valley Bible Church, that we're a family, we're a team. So appreciate that. As I mentioned, we've turned to a new chapter, but there's no real reason, I don't believe, to, to think that we have uh, changed the setting. Uh, I know some scholars uh, will argue that this maybe should be somewhere else in the book of John or something else should have happened or the scene has changed. That doesn't seem to fit. fit. Um, Jesus has been talking to uh, the Pharisees uh, after they were, had the whole the story with the man that was born blind that Jesus had restored sight to, and he ends with this sort of uh, this admonition, this um, a strong word against them, and then... And then it seems like actually that ramps up, but if you look down in verse 21, you'll see that, that the same arguments are kind of there that we saw in, verse, in chapter 9, rather, where the people are divided after Jesus speaks, and they say, um, uh, others are, some are saying he's got a demon, others are saying these are not the, thing, or the sayings of one demon-possessed. A demon man cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? So I think that it fits. Uh, if anything, I think Jesus is is trying to present an example to, to demonstrate even further to the Pharisees and to those around that the Pharisees are illegitimate shepherds. And we'll see that as we move forward today. Last week we looked at some Old Testament passages, and, and there are Old Testament passages that are full of this same analogy that we see in our text this morning, this, uh, this uh, image of a shepherd and his sheep, and the sheep being the people of Israel, and the shepherd either being God or those that God has placed in authority over his people. And uh, talking about that, looking at this passage, you probably think of some passages that, that feature that prominently. Psalm 23, which we'll look at just a little bit toward the end, um, this, this morning rather. And then other passages, Jeremiah 23 um, and others. Ezekiel 34 is, is a major one. And I'd like to read part of Ezekiel 34 this morning before we get right into our text um, because it provides a good context, I think, for uh, some of the, the background. This is a passage that the Pharisees would no doubtably had studied and known, something that they should have been aware of, and a lot of the imagery is used that Jesus is going to use. And so if you have your, your Bible and want to turn there, Ezekiel 34 I would commend the whole chapter to you this week. It would be uh, worth your while to read the whole chapter, um, even in preparation for next week. But let's read verses 2 through 10. Ezekiel 4, 2 through 10. I'm going to read it out of here. 34, sorry, 2 through 10. All right. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves, should not the shepherds feed the flock? 
You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened. The diseased you have not healed. The broken you have not bound up. The scattered you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity you have dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. And they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth and there was no one to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my flock has become a prey, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field for lack of a shepherd. And my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore, but I will deliver my flock from their mouth so that they will not be food for them. And it goes on from there, um, but don't have time for much more than that this morning. So uh, a great passage when we think about the context of, of Jesus' words here in John. There's also a bit of, of the historical context we need to think about because we need to understand that for what most of us probably think uh, of shepherding and sheep, uh, that is probably not the picture of what was happening in, in first century um, Israel, Palestine, this area, um, because we don't, we don't raise sheep the same way. <laughs> uh, there are still parts of the world that do, um, but, uh, but we don't tend to. And so some, some unique things happening as we look at this, uh, this picture. There's a, a picture actually uh, that I have here. Uh, for a slide of a of a sheepfold. There we go, an older picture. This one is uh, near Herodium, just south of Bethlehem. Obviously, an older an older photo of uh, of the remains of a sheepfold. But during these times, every village or town they would have a, a larger fold, and often the multiple shepherds would bring their sheep in. They would bring them into the fold. And they would either take turns uh, watching the door or watching the sheep uh, at night, or they would have uh, somebody hired that would come and, and watch and, and serve as a doorkeeper that would, that would watch the sheep. And then early the next morning, the shepherd would come, and he would come to the fold. The, the doorkeeper would let him in, whoever was there guarding. He would go into the fold and call. Each shepherd had a unique call, and his sheep knew his, his voice. And so as he called, his sheep would gather and they would come with him and he would lead them, lead them out to pasture from the fold. And so that's the, the picture here. We often think of sheep herding as having sheep dogs and, you know, chasing them or prodding them with sticks and, and kind of getting them to go where you want them to go. This was an opposite thing. It was a leading of the sheep. And so that's a little bit more of the setting of this passage as we begin to look at, at Jesus' figure of speech here. And Jesus is going to begin, as we mentioned, talking about uh, what a shepherd is. And the first thing we see is that he talks about imposters, and imposters climb over the wall. 
Jesus begins in verse 1 by saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. We see that the tension has been building between Jesus and the Pharisees. Um, This is escalating. Um, Jesus has just called them blind, right? And, uh, And we've seen that they keep attempting to undermine his ministry. They keep um, finding ways to try to ruin his credibility, questioning even his heritage, his upbringing, where he's from. Crowds don't seem to be buying it the harder they try. And so rather than bringing legitimate arguments, they begin to have backdoor meetings. They begin to plot and find uh, have secret plots to, to kill Jesus. And we know that throughout the Gospels, that that's, that's, that's the approach they take, right? Well, we're not going to be able to defeat this guy head on, so we'll do it through these backdoor means. These were the supposed shepherds of Israel, but Jesus says they're not legitimate shepherds. They're thieves and robbers, and they're sneaking over the, the wall in the back, hoping to steal the sheep. In verse 5, he says, Speaking of the sheep, that a stranger they simply will not know, will not follow, but will flee from him because they did not, do not rather, know the voice of strangers. And Jesus declares that that these religious leaders, they're, they're strangers to the sheep. The sheep will not follow them because they don't recognize their voice. They claim to know the scriptures, they claim to proclaim the truth. But their lips are full of lies and deceit. Even the blind beggar in chapter 9 seems to have a better grasp on scriptural truth, on biblical truth, than they do. When he declares, we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. No, they were not shepherds. They were imposters posing as shepherds to the sheep. Why? Because by contrast, Jesus says that a shepherd enters by the door. Jesus goes on to explain in this figure of speech what a genuine shepherd looks like. And we know that the point that Jesus is trying to make, because we have God's Word, we can look back and we can read it, we can study it. Um, We know the the whole truth of of what Christ has done for us. We know that He's talking about Himself here. But we know that His hearers don't understand that from verse 6. Jesus says this about a true shepherd. He says that a shepherd enters by the door. A shepherd is granted entry by the doorkeeper. Shepherd, his sheep recognize his voice, and he calls his sheep by name. And then he leads his sheep, and they follow. I want to look just at how Jesus actually fits all of these things. Jesus enters by the door. He does not sneak into Israel. doesn't hold back alley rallies. He's not climbing over the, the, the back wall to get in. No, in fact, the opposite is true, right? His ministry is, is primarily public, visible. He's healed the lame, made the blind to see. He's fed 5,000 people, actually more than that, but 5,000 men. He's taught with authority in synagogues. At the high point in the middle of 
of the feast in Jerusalem, he has stood up and made bold proclamations about who he is. He isn't an illegitimate shepherd. They are. He is the one who has come boldly and rightly into the sheepfold. Jesus is granted entry by the doorkeeper. There are many points of view regarding who this doorkeeper might be. Um, Probably too much time spent trying to figure it out. Um, The truth is we don't know. Um, A lot of people try to to figure it out. But we have to remember with, with parables especially that every little thing is not always means something. We don't want to try to seek to find more detail in it than there might be. Um, we want to make sure that we remember what the main point of a parable is. Um, typically, that's the main thing we're looking at. I, I do think that probably the most plausible explanation is that it's God the Father, um, at least in this first example, um, and that, uh, that he uh, opens the gate for, for Jesus to come in as the rightful one. And we know that, that, that regardless, that fits with Scripture, right? Jesus has declared over and over that, that he is the one who has been sent from the Father. The Father has sent him to call out his flock from among the people. And the point is that Jesus is the legitimate shepherd. Jesus' sheep also recognize his voice. Now, I don't have sheep. Full disclosure, I don't have any. Linda's talked about getting a goat. But we're not going to get a goat. We do, have, we do have five chickens, five laying hens, and uh, they've kind of become mine. I'm not sure how that happened. It was not the intent. Um, but uh, anyway, we have these five chickens, and I, you know, I've made quite a nice hen house for them in this pretty good-sized run, so they're not like deprived chickens, right? And we're treating them nice. Um, there were six. It's another story. One met an unfortunate early end Tell you that sometime if you want to know about it. Anyway, uh, but these five chickens, if I go out there by their run and I call to them, they actually, they hear my voice, they come. Chickens are kind of cool. Like They will come to me. Now, I don't know if I had them in the yard, if they would actually come, but they'll come right out of the hen house, they'll come running. It may be because I feed them oftentimes when I call them. But I will say this, there is a marked difference when Benjamin and Catherine come out by our four-year-old twins, and they call them. The chickens scatter, right? They find a place to hide because they're used to Benjamin and Catherine trying to, trying to catch them and hold them and things like that in the, uh, in the pen. So, but they, they do seem to recognize my voice. I can go out in the yard and call, and they all come close to the fence and try and look at me. We have another animal in the house that knows my voice. I'm going to a picture of him here. Buddy the dog, cute little puppy. Um, he's only two years old, actually not even quite two years old. And he pretty much is the Garfield of dogs. He acts like an old dog. He's got very low energy or something. I don't know. Uh, he basically just, yeah, just does nothing. Um, you know, it's, it's all right. He eats when he wants to. Um, not very interactive. Aiden can get him kind of riled up once in a while. He'll play for a few minutes, and then he goes back to just hanging out. Um, but there is one thing he loves to do, loves to do. If the front door opens and he notices no one is around or paying attention, he loves to run out the front door and down two houses to our neighbor, his friend, Ginger's house. And he loves to go down there and hang out with Ginger. And we can almost guarantee, if he's not at home, that that's where he is. And, you know, it doesn't matter when the twins see him or Lizzie or any of the kids see him running out the door. If they yell at him, he runs faster, right? If they go, stop, buddy, no. 
he runs faster. But if I happen to be there and I yell, buddy, stop, he does. And he slowly looks at me and turns around and walks very slowly back into the house where he belongs. Poor boy. But he knows, he knows my voice. He knows who I am in the family. And he does respond. He actually is more Linda's dog than mine anyway. But he listens, in all other things, he listens more to her. But that's all right. Um, but that's kind of the picture here, right? That the, that the sheep know their master's voice. Obviously, on a much, to a much greater degree, they know his call. Um, and as Jesus preaches and performs miracles, those who are his sheep begin to gather around him. His disciples and his followers come around him as he does ministry. Jesus also calls his sheep by name. Jesus knows his sheep. And we see literally that he basically calls the, the twelve by name, right? The disciples, the apostles. Um, but he also interacts like he did with the blind men individually, seeking his own out. And we see that time and time again. Sometimes the, the least likely people uh, throughout the Gospels, we see that he has goes and he seeks them out. He knows them. And there's great comfort for us in knowing that he seeks out his own. And Jesus leads his sheep and they follow. Jesus isn't the one following, right? No, we are his disciples, his followers. They don't follow strangers because they don't know the stranger's voice. And there are a couple of, I think, important lessons for us as, as pastors or as elders, teachers and leaders in the church, even volunteers or any of us, really, because we're all called to be involved in making disciples. And the first is this, that as we seek to shepherd the flock of God, we, like Jesus, must lead from the front. We must lead. Like the Apostle Paul, we should be able to say, to those who are around us, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Or as another translation puts it, follow me as I follow Christ. We say that to our children, to our wives, to those around us at work. Second, we must be diligent to proclaim the truth of God's word and not our own thoughts and ideas. We must do that so that the sheep recognize and follow the Master's voice, not ours. That's why we, as a Bible church, place so much emphasis on God's, on God's Word and on teaching God's Word. Not just ideas, not just thoughts. That's why there's a great weight and seriousness to, to being up here on Sunday morning. In fact, every time I'm given the opportunity, I pray and I ask the Lord that if for some reason... I make some mistake if I misrepresent any part of God's word that hopefully through the Holy Spirit you won't hear it or I won't be able to say it and you guys will walk away having heard the truth because we, we value that and we want to continue to value God's word. We want to hear His voice from His word. And we'll see to an even greater extent that Jesus is the shepherd in next week's passage um, but we do see it clearly in this parable as well, in this figure of speech. A few lessons for us before we move on to what a, a shepherd does. The first is this, don't follow strange voices. Don't follow strange voices. If it doesn't sound right, then check it out. 
Be in God's word so you hear his voice. Check things against his word if it doesn't sound right. Because here is where the truth is. And whatever is said must line up with God's word. Another one, Jesus' sheep follow him. To be a Christian means to be a disciple, a follower. You can't say, oh yeah, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, I go to church on Sunday, and then take no notice of what Christ says. No, we're called to be His disciples, His followers. Again, we must be in God's Word to know what He asks for us to do. Are you following Him and what He tells you through His Word? Thirdly, Jesus knows His sheep by name. If you are one of his sheep, you are never forgotten. He knows you by name. He calls you by name. And there's comfort in knowing Jesus, yes, but even more in being known by him. What an incredible, comforting truth. As we move on in our text, we see that uh, that the people listening, we don't know who who all they are. Um, It doesn't say um, there might be a, a crowd of, uh, probably a mixed crowd, Pharisees, disciples. Um, maybe the, the man that was born blind might still be there. Other Jews, um, we don't know for sure. Regardless, we know this. Uh, it says in verse 6, This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. They don't get it. Don't get it. So Jesus really starts over, but with a twist. He he shifts from describing what a shepherd is and begins to explain what a, what a true shepherd does. And he begins to also more directly insert himself into the things he's going to say. And Jesus begins the same way. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. We see here Jesus, I believe the third of seven I am statements. I know in, in chapter 6, he declared, I am the bread of life. In chapter 8, he has declared, I am the light of the world. And here he declares, I am the door. We'll see four more throughout the Gospels. And Jesus says that he is the door to the sheep. It wasn't uncommon uh, that there would be, as you saw in the pictures, just uh, the fold with, with no door on it, just an opening, right? Big enough for the sheep maybe to get through. Um, and then the shepherd would, uh, would lay in that doorway or sit in that doorway, depending if he's sleeping or not. Um, but he would be the door. So anything coming or going, anything trying to get in or trying to get out of the fold, would have to come through him. And Jesus is going to build more on this idea of him being the door in verse 9. But first we see that he, he continues on by saying, All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. And I believe Jesus is doubling down again on the, on the religious leaders. And there, there seem to be a few things that would point toward Jesus actually meaning the religious leaders of his day. He says that all who came before are thieves and robbers, not were thieves and robbers. They are seeking to mislead the people. 
Clearly, Jesus isn't meaning that all of the prophets, all of the leaders of Israel in all of time prior to him were thieves and robbers. He's not saying they were all illegitimate. There is a sense in which the Messiah has come and salvation can be found in no other. Right? The Pharisees keep saying, well, what about Moses and what about Abraham and what about the law? And those are the things that we stand on. And yet all of those things point toward Christ. And they refuse to accept him as the Messiah. So there is salvation in no other. I actually think it's best to understand it this way, um, returning to the imagery of the sheep and the shepherd. The shepherd comes early in the morning to, to claim his flock. Anyone who has come earlier than the shepherd is a thief or a robber. Anyone who has come to try to claim his sheep that isn't the shepherd is an imposter. They've had to sneak in through the back and steal the sheep. Therefore, these religious leaders who have rejected Jesus as the Messiah must be, therefore, imposters. And imposters, as Jesus says in verse 10, steal, kill, and destroy. Their interest is entirely their own, as we see in God's indictment on the shepherds in Ezekiel 34. They feed on the flock, but they do not feed it. They take the fat and the wool for their own benefit while neglecting the flock of God. And he will not stand for it. Imposters steal and kill and destroy. And this has not changed. There are those who come into the church and attempt to do the same things. They make disciples for themselves. They preach false gospels. They make false prophecies and false promises in return for gain. With attractive personalities and clever speech, they amass large crowds of followers and make much of themselves for their own personal gain. Paul writes to the Philippians, Beware of dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. Peter warns in his second epistle, There will be also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. We must be alert. We must be attentive and watch for those who seek to come in and to steal and to kill and to destroy his flock. By contrast, Jesus says that a shepherd guards, guards guides, and gives. Sorry, not as good at these G's. Uh, yes, uh, but... Uh, a shepherd guards, guides, and gives. And Jesus in verse 9 says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And as the door, Jesus personally guards. He guards his flock. Another change that we see in this figure of speech as, as Jesus sort of retools it is that now all of the sheep in, in the fold, they're his. Jesus says, anyone who enters through me he will be saved. Jesus' message is the most inclusive and at the same time the most exclusive message because it includes 
this, that anyone may come. Anyone who will come to faith in him. But he is the only way in. He is the only way into his fold. There is no other way into his flock. There is no other way of salvation. Jesus guards his flock. He also guides them. Not only does he bring them into the fold, he leads them out to find pasture. We saw earlier that a a sheep goes out ahead of, I mean, a shepherd goes out ahead of his sheep and they follow him. He leads them to pasture, to his pasture. If the language reminds you of Psalm 23, it should, at least the first three verses. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Psalm Psalm 79, 13 says, We, your people, and the sheep of your pasture will give thanks to you forever. To all generations we will tell of your praise. This pasture speaks of provision. As God guides his sheep, he provides for them all that they need. See this Philippians 4.19, where Paul says, My God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. In 2 Peter 1.3, His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. The pasture is essential for the sheep. It provides them with nourishment and sustains life. Which brings us to the final thing, a shepherd gives. In the second half of verse 10, contrasted with the thief coming to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The shepherd gives life, eternal life. I think there are two things, two bad, maybe unbiblical ideas that we can think about sometimes when we think about eternal life. One, we can think, that'll be boring. The reality is there's nothing further from the truth. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says, Just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. And our finite minds cannot begin to comprehend the incredible things that God has prepared for us. We're limited, but someday we will see things that will just... Blow us away, I'm sure. If anything, it will be anything but boring. The other is that it starts when we die. Eternal life doesn't start when we die. It starts when we place our faith in Christ. Life starts now. This abundant life Jesus is talking about isn't just abundant life later. It's abundant life now. And what I'm not saying is that it's your your best life now. You're going to get all the good things and never get sick. Obviously, that's not true. We still live in a fallen, broken world, and we are still affected by sin and things around us. We are not immune to those effects. He's not saying that you won't get sick, you won't lose a job, you won't go through difficult times. But we are free. We are free from the bondage of sin. We're free from death. We live in newness of life with purpose, with hope, with a future And knowledge that even when things don't go well, even when we do go through those bad times, that it is happening for our good and for God's glory. Romans 8, 28-39 actually, Paul writes this, 
And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's abundant life. Living with those truths in our heart. Some final lessons for us. The first one is step through the door. The invitation is an open one. Jesus says, anyone who enters through me, he will be saved. If you're here today and you've not placed your faith or trust in Christ, do so today. The invitation is is open for you to, to believe in him today. If we have placed our faith in Christ, be a satisfied sheep. Be content with where he has placed you. Remember, that He knows best for you. And trust in Him. Are you anxious? Find rest in Him. Find satisfaction and joy in your shepherd and all that He has done and will do for you. And lastly, start living today. Jesus came that we may have life. And being a Christian doesn't mean being locked away alone in some cold, dark monastery. Unless, of course, you're there brewing a nice Trappist ale. Maybe he has you there for that reason. But seriously, that's not what it means, right? It doesn't mean locking ourselves away and hiding from the world. It doesn't mean depriving ourselves of all of the great good gifts that God has given to us. No, Christianity provides us the right context in which we can rightly enjoy the good gifts of God. And we ought to do so, remembering who our shepherd is. And as the, uh, the worship music team comes up to lead us in a final song, I just want to read uh, through um, Psalm 23 in its entirety, all, all six verses. So just contemplate these words. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for sending us a shepherd who has called us out as his sheep. We thank you for that whatever is going on around us, even if we go through dark times, we can be comforted knowing that you are there, that Jesus is there, that he will never leave us, will never forsake us as his sheep, and that he knows us. He knows us by name. Yes, he calls us by name, but he knows everything that we are going through. Lord, thank you for the, the truth that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.